ברשות כבוד הרב, ברשות כל הקהל הקדוש הזה. I want to thank this קהילה, had the זכות to spend a beautiful Shabbos, a very uplifting Shabbos, a very inspiring Shabbos. And I want to wish all of you that you should go, mechoyel el choyel, to grow in Torah, in Avodas Hashem, in Yirat Shomayim, in Stokov Chesed, and to bring Kvod Shomayim to all of the world and to continue to grow, to be a source of Nachash to the Rabbeinu Shalom. Today is the Tzom, the fast of Shiva Osa Betamuz, and with this we begin the three weeks, the three weeks of mourning of Avelut for Churban Yerushalayim. The Magid of Yerushalayim, Reb Shapsi Yudalevich, the Chreinel of Rache, told over a story, I think he told it in the name of previous Magidim. They tell a story, there was a wonderful Jew who lived in a small town, he was a Talmud Chachem, he was a successful businessman, he had a wonderful wife, they were Balei Tzedakah, they were very respected people, they had everything that one could wish for, except for one thing, they had no children. And they did whatever they could, and they went to all tzaddikim for brachot, and they were mispalel. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu was good to them in everything. The more they davened, the more they were matzliach in their business, in their wealth, and everything was going so good for them. But the one thing that they wanted so desperately, she wanted to hold a baby in her arms. He wanted so dearly to have a son who he would teach Torah to, who would say Kaddish for him. But the gates of heaven were closed and they were getting on and on in their years and they were getting older and they were reaching the age where they had despaired and they were almost at the point of Yiyush that they would never see Yeshua Hashem. And then, like a miracle... The wife found out that she was expecting a baby. You can't imagine the simcha, you can't imagine the joy and the excitement. And they were counting the days and the weeks, and they went to buy the most beautiful cribs and baby furniture and baby clothing. The house was alive with the excitement that finally Hashem blessed them, and that their wonderful life would now be truly, truly filled with meaning and hope. And they would be able to continue the generations. And as the day came closer for the day that they were expecting the baby to be born, the excitement was getting greater and greater. And one day she realized that this is it, the baby is arriving. And they quickly called the midwife and the midwife came to deliver the baby. And after a little while she came out to tell the husband, you know, like it says, Barachelli Menu Vatikash Belidato. There are difficulties. It's not going well. And your wife and the baby, they're both in great danger. And I'm not equipped. I'm not skilled enough to deal with such a difficult situation. You better quickly call the doctor. And he ran to bring the town doctor, but he was a wealthy man. He didn't take any risks. And he sent a telegram ahead to the big city. And he said the most important, most knowledgeable doctor should come. Don't worry about money. I will pay for anything. And then before going home, he ran to give tzedakah and he went to all the 
Talmidei Chachamim, and he said, please pray for my wife and baby, their lives are in danger. He came back to the home, and the doctor greets him with a grave face, and he says, things aren't going well. I don't know what to do. We're faced with a terrible, terrible dilemma. We should never hear of such a, such a difficult problem. As we can save the baby, we can operate on your wife, and we could take out this baby boy. But your wife is very weak. And if we operate on her, there's no way that she is going to survive. So you have to choose between the two of them. Who is going to make it? Is it going to be your wife, or is it going to be the baby? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, I'm meant to sit here and decree between life and death? How am I supposed to even think about... I don't know... I don't know what to say. What, it's not my decision. So he decided he's going to go to the Rav Ha'ir. He went to the Rav of the town. And he told him the terrible situation that he's in. He says, Rabbi, what should I do? He says, I don't know what to tell you. But it's not a decision that you or I can make. The only one who's entitled to make such a decision is your wife. You have to tell her what's at stake. And she is the only one who can decide what she wants to do. So he went back to the house and he went into his wife and she was suffering terribly and he said, look, the doctors tell us that you're faced now with a terrible choice. Only you or our baby can survive. And it's up to you to make the decision. It didn't take her long to give an answer. She said, what kind of life will I have if I have no continuation for my dorot? There's no question. I will gladly, gladly give my life that my baby should survive. But I ask, I have one request of you, my dear husband. When this little baby is old enough to understand when he grows up, and he'll be able to understand what happened. Promise me that you will take him to my kever. You will take him to my grave. And you will tell him what his ima, what his imala did for him. You will explain to him how I gave away my life so that he should live. And that he should grow to be great in Torah mitzvot. And I want him to understand it. And I want him describe to him, tell him what I was like, he should remember me. I want you to promise me that. And the husband gave his promise to his wife. The doctor operated and they took out a newborn baby boy. A great mazel tov, a baby born after so many, so many years. That very night, the husband escorted his wife's oran to the Beit HaKfarot, to her eternal rest. A week later, there was the Sudat Brit Milah, a great simcha, but there was no mother at the bris. The father had no one with whom to share the simcha. The years went on, and he raised the child himself with tremendous love and devotion. He gave him anything the child needed or wanted for his growth. And when he became old enough, to understand it was the yard site of his mother, the Yom HaShanah, 
And he said, come my child, I want to take you somewhere. And he took the little boy by the hand, and he took him to the cemetery, and he brought him to the grave of his mother. He said, I want you to see, you see this matseva. This is the burial place of your mother. And I want to tell you the story of your birth. And he told this child the story. And he told his son how his mother didn't hesitate to make the decision to give her life, to sacrifice her own life so that he should live. The boy was stunned. He stood there, he didn't know what to say. There were tears streaming down his face. And he was looking at the grave. He says, Imala, Imala, you gave me everything. You gave me my life. I promise you, I promise you there will not be a day in my life that I don't think about you. There will not be a day in my life that I don't do something for your neshama, that you should have nachat from me in shamayim. And I will carry on your memory and I will make you proud. And your sacrifice will not have been in vain. And so he went home. And for the rest of his life, he lived every single day thinking about what his mother had sacrificed for him and living, trying to live up to what she expected of him. There was a time in history when Klal Yisrael sinned and the Kaddish Baruch Hu decreed that we have to be punished, terribly punished. There was a gezeira of destruction upon us. And the Bet HaMikdash, the Ima of Klal Yisra, went and pleaded our case before the Rabbana Shalayda. And the Bet HaMikdash said, Take me instead. Let me be destroyed and burned to the ground so that my children can live. So that the nation of Am Yisrael should be able to continue. And as Chazal tell us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem was in great anger. And He intended to pour out His anger on us. But instead, He took all of that wrath and all of that anger and He poured it out onto the stones of the holy base HaMikdash. And the Beis Hamikdash was burned to the ground so that we could survive, so that we should live, so that there should be an Am Yisrael. But it is our sacred obligation never to forget the Beis Hamikdash, to live with the memory of what the Beis Hamikdash did for us. The Beis Hamikdash was like the Ima of Klal Yisrael. Because a mother cleans her children when the children are soiled and when they're dirty. And when we became soiled with chait, with avera, with avon, where did we go? Where did we go to cleanse ourselves? We went to the base of Migdosh. That was the place that cleansed us of all of our sins. That was the place that renewed us and rejuvenated our spirit and breathed life into us. And the Beis HaMikdosh sacrificed for our existence. And so we must never forget the Beis HaMikdosh. But it doesn't mean just 
to remember to talk about the Beis HaMikdash. An ima, a mother, is a person's very identity. Rahman al-Islam, when you daven, when you pray for a choleh, you say the person's name and his mother's name because that's his essence. That's who he is. As long as we are connected in our minds and in our hearts to the Beis HaMikdash, then we have an identity. We know who we are. Our essence is clear. We have no doubts about our identity, about who is the Ani of Clyde. I know who I am. A child who knows his mother knows who he is. But if we distance ourselves, if we forget, if we don't live with the memory of our mother, of the Beis HaMikdash, we lose our identity. We exchange who we are for a strange identity. And we become something else and we become someone else. Who is the Ani? When a Jew thinks of, when a Jewish nation thinks of I, who am I? How do I describe myself? How do we as a nation describe who we are? So the Pasik says, Klal Yisrael says, Ani Choma. I am a wall. Oim Ani Choma, we say in the Ishan, I don't know if you say it in the Sukhsvarat. Do they? Oim a nation, a nation who is a wall. You know what it means to be a Choma? A wall represents strength and courage and conviction and the bravery and the ability to stand alone without fear of what others say, what others laugh at, what others say is the, is, is, is the latest that what we have to do. We stand firm like a wall. Knowing who we are, Ani Choymo. When you think of Yerushalayim, think of Yerushalayim, what do you think of? You know what you think of? You think of walls. The Pasik says, Al Chomatayich Yerushalayim, Hifkadati Shoymen. Yerushalayim is a city of Chomot. When we pray, that Yerushalayim should be rebuilt. What do we say? We say, Heitiva Hashem Eztzioin, Tivneh Chomot Yerushalayim. Rebuild the walls of Yerushalayim. Walls are strong and powerful. And they don't crack. And people who are like Chomot don't crack. They stand firm. But on Shiva Asar B'Tamuz, what happened that day? Nifka HaChoma, the walls were breached. There was a crack in the walls of Yerushalayim, and that was the beginning of the end. Today marks the beginning of the exile of the Golos. It's the beginning, it was the beginning of our losing our identity, forgetting who we were, forgetting who we are, and mixing with the surrounding cultures, and forgetting where we come from. 
the Arizal says a klal, says a rule, you know, sometimes a word could be malay, it has a vav or a yud inside, and sometimes it's chaseh. And when you ever have the same word, when it's malay, it's bigdusha, and when it's chaser, it's the opposite of kedusha. Choma with a vav, choma is a wall. You take out the vav, it becomes chema, becomes anger, it becomes destruction. Whatever was left of Klal Yisrael, all of us who are sitting here, you know why we are here? Why we're still here? Because all of us had ancestors, had grandfathers and grandmothers who were like a choma, who even in the most bitter exiles and under the worst influences, they stood strong and with their conviction, with their beliefs, and they wouldn't allow a crack. Those, those who weren't able to be so strong, and they didn't stand firm like walls, their descendants aren't here. They are amongst the multitudes, the hundreds and thousands and millions of Jews who never heard of Moshe Rabbeinu. Because when that wall cracks, it doesn't take long before the walls come tumbling down. And all that's left then is the chema, is the destruction. In this week's parasha, parashat Pinchas, Pinchas was very strong. He was a kanoi. He was a zealot. And people laughed at him. Rashi says, Mevazimoto. They scorned him. They scoffed at him. Who are you? What are you, crazy? You're a fanatic. They called him a fruma meshugene. But Pinchas didn't care. He didn't hesitate. He saw what was wrong. And he stood up like a chomah. And Pinchas ben Elazar ben Anna Cohen, Heshivet Chamati. He appeased the chemo, the anger of Hashem, and he restored Hinani Notelo et Biti Shalom. He brought peace, he brought harmony, he brought tranquility into the world, into Klal Yisrael. In every generation we are faced with Nisiyonot and the purpose of all of these challenges, what the Yitzhara wants is to open up that crack in the wall, to weaken us, to replace the Choma of Ani Choma, our essence, and exchange it for Chema. Whenever that Choma cracks, the Ani changes. It's a crack, it's a weakness in our very identity because that's who we are. The Yetzirah wants to open that up so that we should forget about who we really are and be the Ani who lives just in the moment. What do I want for right this moment? And to forget that he is a wall. A wall is bricks, a riach al one solid edifice, one connection. He wants us to forget 
that we are a people with a past, that we are a people with a destiny. We don't just live in the here and now. Who in the world is Mitabel? Who mourns a Besamigdash that was destroyed 2,000 years ago? You go to a guy, yesterday's newspaper isn't even good for wrapping fish. He's not interested. Who cares about yesterday? The only people who care about yesterday, who care about 2,000 years ago. I just say, you walk into a hospital. You know, in the maternity ward where the little babies are. You see all the babies in the cribs. You see a Jewish baby there. He's different than all the other children. You know why? Because he's born, he's already a few thousand years old. He's not one day old. When he's born, there are millions of people who already hate him. Who want to kill him. There are thousands upon thousands who love him, who would give anything for him. Who do anything? You put an ad in the paper, a little baby, a Yiddish baby was born, he needs blood, he needs this, he needs money, anything. Where? How can I help? How can I help? Because he's part of something so great. I heard from my mother, she was a child in the years of the Holocaust. And they were hiding, they were running from the Germans. And she was the oldest child of six younger brothers and sisters. And they were disguised as Goyim. And they went with Goyish names. They weren't allowed to say their Jewish names. And I heard from my grandmother that my mother, Leah Shalom, would go at night, whisper into the ears of her little sleeping brothers and sisters in their ears, just say over their Jewish names, Moshe, Yaakov, Chana, Zisel. She would just whisper into the ears so that the neshama should hear their names. And my mother, Leah Shalom, told me that she used to be up at night and she used to wonder... What is so special about these children that those evil soldiers from Germany are marching hundreds of miles just to destroy them? How valuable must they be? What must their erech be if this monstrous machine called the German army is so interested in this little baby? Why does he make such a difference? What do they care? As long as we are connected to the Beis Hamikdash, to our true identity, to our real Ani, we are a people of destiny. But if we fall to the Nisyonis of the Zman, of the days, we lose our identity, we lose our connection to Beit Hamikdash, and every generation has its challenges. We are the generation before Mashiach. The Pasik it says, We lost Eretz Yisrael vayishman yishurun vayivat. We became very successful, very wealthy. We had everything that we needed. And so we kicked, so to say, Abi'ita. The Chsam says, Before Mashiach will come, we'll have to go through that same test again. HaKadosh Baruch will give us a world of plenty, of ease, of comfort, of wealth, will be in a country who is good to us, a benevolent country who doesn't want to hurt us, doesn't want to harm us. And we are going to be tested, and it's not an easy test, not to forget who we are, even in a world where everything is available to us. Even in a world where people have been taught to believe that anything that they desire is in their grasp. 
not an easy test. You know, this year is a very special year. This year is the year of Shemitah. Shemitah? Chazal tells us, the Gemara tells us, that the Moitzoi Shemitah, the year after Shemitah, is the year of Mashiach. Mashiach will come. Mashiach, we don't know exactly what that means, because Mashiach can come any minute. But Chazal HaKadoshim tell us there's such an idea. The Pasuk tells us, we lost Eretz Yisrael, Bavon Shemitah. Pasuk says so, Pasuk B'chukai We lost Eretz Yisrael, we were thrown out of the land because we didn't keep Shemitah. And Chazal tell us that all of the Torah is dependent on Shemitah. Ma'inyin Shemitah Eitzel HaSinai, Rashi asks. To teach us that just like Shemitah, all of the Pratim and Klalim came directly from Sinai, so to Kola Torah Kula. So all of Torah is learned out from this one mitzvah. Why is it so fundamental? Why is it so important? Why is our hold and our connection to Eretz Yisrael dependent on this mitzvah? Because you know what the meaning of Shemitah is. Let me tell you a story. The last Shemitah, I was in Eretz Yisrael, and I was invited to come to visit one of these moshavim where they keep Shemitah. And I came to this farm, huge farm, and there's nobody inside, there's nobody there. And I was taken to see a vineyard, a kerem. As far, it was so huge, as far as the eye can see, you saw the vines with the grapes, and you see that they're cracking because they hadn't been pruned, as an sort of zmirah. So they're trying to support it with ropes. And, and the person who's telling me said that men, men, much of this merchandise is going, to be, is going to be lost. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of grapes. And there's not a person inside. There's no one here. It's like Shabbos Kodesh. There's no, no one's working. No one's here. And I see on the side, there's a man sitting there in dungarees, a Svaradi with a beard and a baseball cap. And I asked him, who's that? And he says, he's the owner. And I go over to him, I said... It's, you could just sit here and watch your entire fortune just just stand there and watch and not do anything to save it he looked at me with the most beautiful smile and he said with such pure emuna he believed it with every fiber of his being a big businessman said to me it's a good thing Hashem didn't give Shemitah here in America he knew where to give the mitzvah. Zelo shali! Kili kola aretz! HaKadosh Baruch who gives and gives, but who does it belong to? A person can think, Kochiba, Otsem Yadi, it's me, it's my brains, my ambition, I did this deal, I'm this, and then I have this, and all blah! He's living in a dream world. The foundation, the foundation of Torah, of Mitzvot, of our connection to Beit HaMikdash, is to know Kili Kol Haaretz. And that takes tremendous strength. Ani That's where the strength comes from. To be able to live in this world where everything says opposite. And everything is based around, I've accomplished this and I've achieved this and I have so much and this is mine and this is mine. To be strong in our Muna to know Zalosh Ali, Zal Kaddish Baruch 
that needs an inner strength, a gvura, that only someone who's connected to the Beis Hamikdash can feel. Only somebody who knows who he truly is. There was a Yid in Eretz Yisrael, his name was Abavram Tokar. He said he remembered the Chofetz Chaim. He said he went to visit the Chofetz Chaim in Radin. And the Chofetz Chaim asked him what he does. He told him about his business. And he said that he owns a beautiful home in this and this town. So the Chofetz Chaim said to him, that home is not yours. He says, Rebbe, what do you mean it's not mine? I paid for it. He said, no, no, it's not yours. That's just where you live. That's where you stay. What's yours is your Torah mitzvot. That's not yours. And, and, and he said, I was very upset when he said that to me. I didn't like it. When the Germans came into our town and they took all of the Jews into the forest and they forced us to dig ditches and they came with their machine guns and they mowed us all down. And as the Kedoshim, as the holy martyrs were falling into the grave, I fell with them. And their bodies were falling on top of me. But I realized I was still alive. And I waited until nightfall. And then I crawled out. I had just been hit by a bullet in the foot, but I was able to run to the forest. I spent the rest of the war hiding in the forest. After the war, I emigrated to Eretz Yisrael. And then I realized how right the Chofetz Chaim was. My house is not my house. My business is not my business. Everything belongs to the Rabbi Nishalayim. That's when I understood the MS. But sometimes we forget. It's a big Yitzhahara. They tell the story about Rabbi Chaim Velozhna. Two people came to him for a Torah. They were arguing about a piece of land. And one said, the land is mine. The other one said, the land is mine. And Rabbi Chaim lied down on the floor, put his ear to the ground. They said, Rabbi, what are you doing? He said, well, the land says, this one says, the, the, the land belongs to him. The land says, soon you both belong to me. What do we really have? What's really ours? The only thing that truly belongs to us is the accomplishments that we do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for Am Yisrael. Torah, mitzvah, chesed, tzedakah, that is ours. Everything else is an illusion. I was once visiting somebody in Columbia Hospital in Manhattan. And I came downstairs, I was waiting for the person who came with me to bring the car, and suddenly I see this amazing, long, stretched out Rolls Royce pulls up, and it's obviously a very important person, there's people running around, must be, I don't know who it is, some, some big figure, obviously very, very wealthy, and they're, they're scurrying about, make, make place, make place, and one chauffeur gets out, the other close the door, and they're coming, running out, and they open the door, and an old, old man comes out with a walker. And behind him there's a tray, the canister of oxygen. And it's connected to him. And he's walking along like this. Now if you would ask how much this man was worth, his net worth was somewhere in the billions, he would say. But the truth is, he was worth only as much as that canister was worth. He's only worth the breath that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives him. And if he can't have that, he can't even buy one breath for $10 billion. So we have to know the MS. And we can only know the MS 
Moray Barabotai, if we connected to Bet HaMikdash. You know, somebody sent me a, a piece of paper. It was, it was, somebody's trying to mark it. It was very popular for a while, but then it became very unpopular. Somebody developed a new type of wristwatch. It's called the ticker. It's a very unusual watch. You know, most watches tell you the time. This one had two dials. There's a little computer inside this watch. And they ask you all sorts of questions about how old you are, and your weight, and your health habits. You drink, you smoke, and you know, and the computer little program. And it programs based on all their logarithms what day you're expected to die. And then the dial on the watch starts ticking off. And every day you see it going down. It's quite shocking. Now, some people said, I'm not wearing one of those things. That's very depressing. But they say that the people who wore it became filled with an appreciation for life. They stopped thinking about foolishness. And they started to think about things that were real. What am I here for? What am I, just a, a body? I'm, I'm flesh and bones, and, and I'm here to consume so many tons of chicken and meat and so many truckloads of soda. That's my purpose on this world. And he realized that we're here to be eternal. But we get taken along on this ride. We become so much sugar. And, 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 and the world has a way of putting us to sleep. I want to tell you a story. A few years ago, I drove from Muncie to Lakewood. I had to go back at night. And two Bokram asked me if they, can, they need a ride to Muncie. Could they come along? I said, fine. And I started to drive back. And I started to get very tired. I was very tired. I just couldn't keep my eyes open. And I started to drive, and I couldn't keep my eyes open. So I asked one of the Bachram, do you mind to take over? I just, I, I'm going to put back the seat, I'm going to take a little nap. I said, fine, no problem. So he pulled over to the side, and he takes the wheel. And I went into the passenger seat, and I pulled it back, and I leaned back. And I woke up in Muncie. I slept the whole way through. I realized he made it very, very fast. They must have been doing 90 miles per hour. <laughs> I felt it was a bit rude, you know. You take a Bachram, and he wants to talk. And then I, I just slept the whole way through. But what could I do? Okay, I fell asleep. About a year later, my son asks me, he says, Tati, do you remember last year you took two Bachram back from Lakewood? They came back with you to Muncie. said, yeah. They told me it was the best night of their life. I said, I'm very flattered. You know, but I slept through the whole evening. I didn't say a word to them. He says, no, no, I understand. They were 15-year-olds. They didn't even have a license. <laughs> the true story. I said, why didn't they tell me? He says, you asked, do you want to drive to Muncie? Of course they said yes. <laughs> Sometimes we live like, like the life like that, you know. We fall asleep. And we let our lives be driven around by people without a license to tell you what life is about. This one says, no, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Do they know what? Do they know what's good? Do they know what it means? What they say is good for me, who I come from the Beis Hamikdash, who I belong to a world of Beis I belong to a world of Mashiach. These people without even a license to even think are going to dictate to me, Ani Chaima, how 
I should live my life and who I want to emulate and what I want to be like. Am I crazy? Ani choymo. No, the old mashgiach in Lake Ram Nosen Bachtvoy, Lechatzadik Levrocha, used to tell over, he has the Kabbalah direct from Yeshua Diskin, who said that before Mashiach will come, will be like before Yitziat Mitzrayim, when there was death and destruction raining down on the Mitzrim, but it jumped over, the Jewish homes, it jumped over. And they weren't hurt. So before Mashiach will come, there will be terrible destruction. But it will not affect, he said in Yiddish, any Erlachid. It won't harm a devout Jew. What's called, he asked, a devout Jew? Someone who lives with the Avdil Eschem in Amim Liot Li. Someone who understands that to be a Jew means to have a Choma and to know that I am different. And I'm not going to let my values be dictated to me by insane people. And today we see those who call themselves judges. Are ready to spit in the face of HaKadosh Baruch who gives us every breath that we have. Who laugh and scoff and celebrate, celebrate the return to the Dora Mabel And this is the way of thinking that should have any effect on how we live. It's there for one purpose to look at what they're saying and say, I want to be exactly the opposite. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to look that way. I don't want to dress that way. I don't want to aspire to any of that. I am a Jew who belongs to the world of the Beis Amigdosh. They want us to be connected at every level. The machines beeping from every pocket, breaking down every wall. What is it called? WWW. I think it's the Rishatayba's world without walls. <laughs> A world without walls. There could be nothing more diametrically opposed to, to Judaism than that. At every level, at every level, Abotai. Let us remember what we're here for. A Machanech, a Rebbe, told me over Shabbos that a seven-year-old girl told me, they asked her, what's your favorite day of the week? She says, Shabbat. She says, why is it your favorite day? Because on that day, my mommy doesn't have a cell phone. Our children are calling to us. They're begging us. Talk to us. Spend time with us. What could they possibly be? What? 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 And what are they doing? Is buying another pair of shoes? 
on the stupid, idiotic phone. What's that going to give a child? That's going to give a child a chomah. That's going to give a child warmth. That's going to give a child love for Yiddishkeit. Love for his family. What is that going to give him or her? Nothing. Nothing. Give our children a chomah of security, of warmth of commitment, of dedication, of certainty of who we are. But it's not easy. Because the world is being driven by a bunch of kids without a license. And it's very, very difficult because as hard as we try, we keep getting dragged into the foolishness. So need an Eitz. I want to share with you something. I had this chus today to speak in the Koilel, to speak to the Bach, I want to tell you over something that I said this morning. It's very hard for us to relate to a Beis HaMikdosh that we lost 2,000 years ago. I know, five, two, half, ten. It's very difficult, especially in today's world. I want to tell you a story I heard. Somebody I know, a successful businessman out in the West Coast, said he was uh, at a business meeting and he met somebody, he met a lot of people, very powerful people there. And there was one person there. This person was one of the original developers of Google. Some of you probably heard of that. You know, Google is there to Google your mind so you can't think straight. I think that's where the word goigu, it comes from goigu magog. That's where it comes from. Just, you know, before machine, there'd be such a, such a battle. Now, this fellow at the age of 24, was worth hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars he was worth. And he had everything you could want. He married, and he had a wonderful wife, and a beautiful child. And he was just in the top of, the, the, the top of existence. And he was walking out on the street in Los Angeles one day, and a huge truck came and hit him, threw him up in the air, and he landed on the ground in a heap of bones. They took him to the hospital. He was unconscious for months. He woke up. He was connected to tubes, every part of his body. Miraculously, he made a full and complete recovery. And this fellow was at this business meeting where this he was, and he was telling me this story. And he went over to him and he said, Hello. He said, I'm so happy to see that you, you recovered so well. Can I ask you a question? Is, did anything remain from your accident? You completely recovered? There's something that you still have that, that, that's that still needs to, 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 to be healed. So I'll tell you the truth. I, I experienced a damage that I have completely lost my sense of taste and smell. And the doctors say it'll never return. So everything I eat tastes like sand. I haven't tasted a morsel of food and I never will again. Now, now before we continue, just let's think about that for a moment. You know, soon we're going to break our fast. We're going to make a bracha. Make a bracha. Thank Hashem that He gives us the ability to taste and to smell a bracha rishana, bracha achrona. Just a little bit to think about. But He said he lost, he lost his ability to taste or to smell. You know what happened? The Churban Beis Migdosh was like a truck hitting us. And it caused tremendous damage. And it took us many, many years to physically recover, just to stand on our feet. But it took away our ability to taste real rochnius. 
We no longer have the same time, the same taste in a mitzvah, in a Shabbat, in a Chag, in anything. We, we've lost that sensitivity that was taken out of us. And that's why it's so hard for us even to miss the Beis HaMikdash, because everything's great. Mashiach, yeah, I hope Mashiach comes. Maybe it's better at the end of the summer. We just got here now, you know, we know what it is. What am, I, what am I missing? I have Gashmis, I have Rochlias, this Kolim, this Yeshiva, this Shiurim, everything. Well, well, what am I missing? We don't even know what we're missing. But I want to go back to the story that happened with this man. Imagine, now let's your imagination run a little bit. If a doctor would tell this person, you know, there's a way to get your sense of taste and smell back. They just discovered a new fruit, a sour apple that grows only in Australia. And if you eat from that apple, your taste buds will become revived. You'll be able to taste food again. And here's a man who would, eat, no problem, write out a check for $10 million just to get his taste back, or for much more. He tell well, of course, bring me this apple, of course, anything, I'll pay anything. Yeah, but you know, you have to eat it for many, many hours a day. You can't stop. It doesn't make a difference. I don't care how much I have to eat of it. Just give me and I'll do it and I'll do it and I'll do it. Who wouldn't? There is something that can restore our taste, our tam, our tamug in Avodat Hashem. The Chidorats, every single thing in Yiddishkeit was diminished. It's no longer the same. No longer the same. Some we, we can imagine ourselves. Imagine, imagine there would be Chas there would be a Gzeira, there's no more Chag the government made such a gazelle. And in 50 years, the young people here would be with their grandchildren. It would be a Wednesday night. He'd look, oh, you know, he would try to tell his grandchildren, well, there used to be Pesach. He used to say, tonight we used to sit at the Seder. We would eat Matzot and Maror. We'd say the Haggadah, Sipi, Yitzhiz, Mitzrayim. He would be crying. Imagine if somebody from the base of Migdash came and saw our beautiful Pesach. Beautiful. What could be? He would, he would cry. This is Pesach. Where's your carbon Pesach? Where's the Chaburot? Where's going up to Yerushalayim? Where's singing hollow till the roofs blew off from the Simcha? This you call Pesach. To us, the highest moment of the year is Yom Kippur. We're never more pure. We're so full of, of Lev Nishbah. We're doing Tshuva. I want to be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's the most beautiful time of the year. Imagine a person from the time of the Beis would walk into our Bet Midrash, Yom Kippur. He would say, this is Yom Kippur. Where's the Kohen Gadol? Where's the Kodesh HaKadosh? Where's the Beis HaMikdash? He would be crying. Everything has been diminished. Except for one thing, says the Chido. Limud HaTorah is exactly the same as it always was. If a person pours himself into the learning of Torah, he will find a town, an enjoyment, a tanug. It will restore the taste for everything else. When a person learns Torah, and he pours in the hours to try to be kind of more, you know what happens? You can talk to him. You can talk to him about Yiddishkeit. He understands to improve in, 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 in everything, in Tfilah, in Stakah, in Sniut, in Kedusha. You're talking to somebody. His eyes are open, his ears here. Why? Why? Because the Torah that he learned restored his ability to taste and to smell and to hear. The first step, the first step to rebuilding the Choma, that we have to be people who can see and who can hear and who can understand. 
And the more limud Torah that we have, every one of us has to think. In the summer we have time, we're on vacation. The Ashirim available here in town by great Talmidei Chachamim all the time. We want to be people who can taste, who can be connected to Beit HaMikdash. We have to hang on to the one thing that hasn't changed, that the Churban hasn't affected. The Churban didn't affect the page of Gemara, didn't affect the page of the Mishnah. HaKadosh Baruch should help us, that we should have the Seichel HaYosha, we should have the Siat of the Shemai to do what we have to do. That we should be a nation of Choma, of strength, not a nation, Chas V'Sholem, of weaklings, because if we're weak, we cannot survive. We want to have a robust and vibrant future and see Nachat from our generations. We have to have the strength of Oim Ani Choma. HaKadosh Baruch should help us on the day that the Choma was broken. We should restore it. That this year there should be no Tishavah. We should celebrate Yerushalayim Erakoidesh and the new base Hamikdash from Herabi Amen.